This is Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast, Episode 122. Today, our special guest is Dr. Liz Madigan, and we talk about the importance of healthy work environments in academia and practice. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast. This is the only podcast that shows you how to leverage polarity intelligence, an essential competency for healthcare leaders, and the missing logic in healthcare so you can create healthy healing organizations and become a thriving, resilient, and unstoppable healthcare leader. We are your hosts, Tracy Christofferson and Michelle Troset. We've been best friends and colleagues for over 30 years. And during that time, we coached healthcare leaders across North America around how to create healthy healing organizations. Today, we coach healthcare leaders and leadership teams to live thriving, resilient, and balanced lives, combat burnout, and create the best places to give and receive care. This podcast is for the unsung hero of healthcare, the healthcare leader. We want you to know we see you and we'll be here for you each week. In this podcast, we're going to challenge healthcare's industry norms, flip limiting beliefs, and share proven strategies so you can be your best self at working at home, live and lead intentionally, and experience well-being and joy. We are glad you are here and look forward to sharing the journey with you. If you aren't totally convinced this podcast is for you, just listen to a few episodes and convince yourself. Well, hello, everybody. It's Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast, and you're talking to Tracy. And you're talking to Michelle. You're talking to both of us. Yeah, well, we're talking, they're not. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening. You're listening to Tracy and Michelle, right? So true. So true. (laughs) So much fun. So much fun. Yeah. Well, and we just wrapped up an awesome podcast interview, both talking and listening with Dr. Liz Madigan, the CEO of Sigma, and what a phenomenal lady she is. Yeah, she has such a great spirit. You know, Mm -hmm. I just really enjoyed um, our time with her. And she shared some really great examples of what's happening out there in both academia and practice when it comes to establishing healthy work environments. So it was really good to hear the work that's going on. And it's so needed right now, right? Yeah, it's so needed. So we're going to be talking about how Sigma has awards for both academia and practice when it comes to establishing um, healthy work environments. And before we kind of get into more about the interview, we also wanted to do a shout out because this episode is going to be airing in November of 2021. And Sigma will have announced by now the winner of the Helen Henry Excellence in Interprofessional Care Award, which is an award in our mentor, Bonnie Wiswork's mother's name, and it has to do with interprofessional care. And we're so excited that it was awarded to the Tracheostomy Thursday team at New York Presbyterian Hospital. Of course, as a nurse and a respiratory therapist, Tracy and I couldn't be more excited. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, so shout out to that team and all yeah. of the work you did to come together uh, in an interprofessional way to care for those patients during the pandemic. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. So you will hear in our interview with Liz just um, why Sigma thinks this topic about healthy work environments is so important. And she's got some great tips and um, just really a lot of... uh, just a lot of awareness of what's happening right now and some great advice of where we need to go 
forward in um, changing the way things have been um, and taking advantage and leveraging the pandemic. Yeah. That's a really great interview. Can't wait for you to listen. Yeah. So let me introduce you to Liz and then we'll be on to our interview. So Liz Madigan is the Chief Executive Officer of Sigma Theta Tau International Honor Society of Nursing. She assumed the position in November 2017 following a 21-year period as a tenured professor at the Francis Payne Bolton School of Nursing, Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio. Her clinical background and her program of research focus on home health care. During this time at Case Western, she led the global health initiatives for the School of Nursing, including and leading the WHO and PAHO Collaborating Center for Home Care Nursing. She has provided consultation in multiple countries for home care and aging care in the community. In 2021, she was recognized as one of the top 100 women in global health for the year of the nurse and midwife. She's a graduate from Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio, the Ohio State uh, University and Case Western Reserve and a fellow in the American Academy of Nursing. She's also a fellow at the Royal College of Surgeons of Ireland and a proud member of Sigma Theta Tau International Honor Society of Nursing. So without further ado, here is our interview with Liz. Well, welcome, Liz. We are so excited to have you as a guest on Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. It's delightful to be with you both. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you. Absolutely. So we know that you are quite the global leader and Tracy and I have inquiring minds. We want to know of all the places you've been to in the world, Liz, what is your favorite place and why? You know, it's really hard to decide because every place I go, I find something I like. Um, I've never been anywhere where I'm like, well, I don't like anything about this place. I think the thing that strikes me is, because I travel for not just for work, but I also travel for pleasure. And so, um, what strikes me every time is how kind people are in so many parts of the world. And so, even though there may be tensions, you know, global tensions between governments, it, the people, and especially nurses, right, is we're all nurses first, and then we're citizens of our country many times second. And so, the nursing piece is what, the, is what really makes it most heartwarming because we have so much in common. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, Tracy and I have been very blessed because we also have traveled the world speaking and for fun. And we have um, had the great privilege to be speakers at Sigma's Research Congress, which is a very international conference. So we've been to Singapore. We've been, you know, domestically Hawaii together. And um, so I was re reminiscing on what was our favorite research congress. And I think Tracy and I agree. It was when we went to Vienna. What do you say, oh. Tracy? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I, and you took my words because I was going to say it, everybody was so kind. Mm -hmm. They were just so nice and so easy to be with. And we met people from all over the world. I mean, mm -hmm. it was really fascinating. It was really great. Yeah. Yeah. And that was just a fun, uh, that was a fun conference. We brought our husbands with us and I think their greatest joy was finding um, Europe's oldest bar, <laughs> the Budweiser. <laughs> and we went on a river trip together. But I also was thinking, Tracy and I, Liz, 
way back then, I can't remember what year that was in, we actually did a presentation using using a treasure map on healthy work cultures and the importance of evidence-based interprofessional care. So we've carried that with us since. And of course, that's going to be something we talk to you about today. Yeah. Well, and you know, I mean, health, healthy work environment has been a topic of interest for a long time, right? Now it's even more important. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Definitely. So, um, you know, we do know that Sigma has many conferences um, and you bring such rich scientific and healing content to the healthcare world. And we're very excited about your upcoming conference, um, which is going to be March 24th and 25th of mm-hmm. Creating Healthy Work Environments. It's going to be in Washington, D.C. this time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just thought it'd be really helpful to give our listeners a little bit of background of when Sigma started that conference. And as you said, it's important, but why? maybe it's even more important today. Well, and you know, that the conference started and it was an every other year conference. And so, um, um, and everything's sort of a blur, of course, because of the pandemic. We were supposed to, ha- we, we were supposed to do it in, um, no, that's right. We did 21 and then we did 19. So 19 was in person, 21 was virtual. Um, and then before that, we were in New Orleans. We were in New Orleans in 2019. It was really the third time we had done it in 2019. So it's a relatively new event for us. Um, what, what initiated it was really discussion about trying to really support our members. And, and our members come from clinical and academic settings. I think that's a misconception many people have is they think many of our members are in academic settings because our chapters up until now have been based in academic settings. There's this misconception that it's all academics. And that's really not the case. We have a lot of clinical members, members who are in clinical positions. And so um, we were we were looking for something that we had heard from our, our members, both in the clinical and the academic settings. And we thought, well, let's give this a try. And so it actually has turned out to be such a success that we're now making it an annual conference. So um, it's going to be in, um, in DC, as you said, in 22. And then in 23, um, we're scheduled to be, right now we're scheduled to be in Austin, Texas. So because it, because it tends to be a conference that is in the uh, Global North's um, sort of early spring, we tend to go someplace south because we don't want to get, we don't want to go someplace that's going to have a lot of snow and be hard to get to. So <laughs> good planning. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you always have to know what your environment is, don't exactly. you? Exactly. <laughs> that's what we're talking about, environment. So it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Austin is one of my favorite cities, so we'll maybe have to see about getting there ourselves, Tracy. Yeah, I know. I've never been there. I can't wait to go. So good excuse, right? Good reason to go there. Well, let's talk a little bit about the need for healthy work environments. And let's start with academia. And so, Liz, what's been your personal experience about the need for a healthy work environment in academia? Why is it so important now? Well, I was in an academic position for 21 years before I came to Sigma. And so I was a faculty member for those 21 years. I was actually, um, before that, I was, I spent four years as a doctoral student. So I had about 25 years of experience in academia. And like other work settings, academia has its own sorts of incivility. Um, microaggressions. Um, Some of the same things that you see happen in clinical settings happen in academic settings, but for different reasons, Um, especially when you get to some of the, some of the universities and colleges that have world experts on the faculty. um, It can be very easy to lose sight of the fact that 
you know, um, I would sit in meetings and somebody would say, I'm a world expert, and everybody around the table could say the same thing legitimately, right? So I think what it does is that it, you have to think about yourself in an academic setting as being among a group of colleagues. And I think we're increasingly seeing this, especially with our, um, with our sort of early career professors, right? Because they're, they're recognizing they need to be treated like colleagues, even though they're brand new. Um, and so I think that's the piece, you know, Dr. Cindy Clark has done some great work on academic settings and incivility and bullying. And so we're always pleased to have Cindy involved in our conferences um, mm-hmm. because she really has some insight into that. And, you know, I, I saw it and experienced it myself. Um, and it is, it's disheartening. It's demoralizing. Um, I think it's, you know, in the same way that it is in the clinical setting, it impacts people's self-confidence and their self-efficacy, uh, how they see themselves professionally. So it has impacts that are just as, uh, just as damaging as what you see in the clinical setting. Where do you think that stems from? Like, you know, what's, what's, where does that start in an academic, you know, in academia? Like what's the birth of it? Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I do, but I, and I wish I had an answer, but I don't, I mean, I don't know what's behind it. Um, you know, academic settings, people in academic settings have a lot of pressure, right? I mean, I think there's a lot of pressure, and I think that's not always well understood from people who have not been in those positions, because in addition to the very important teaching function, in many places, there's also expectations for progression. If you want to progress and be promoted, that you need to be writing grants, you need to be publishing. And that means whether you're on the tenure track or not, the expectations are that you're publishing, that you're writing grants, that you're participating in projects. Um, so it's not just the teaching mission. And then in addition, there's also a service mission. Every, you know, the sort of the mm-hmm. three-legged stool of the faculty sure. is, mm-hmm. you know, research slash scholarship, teaching, and service. Mm-hmm. And that service can be on international, national committees, regional, local. It can be at the university level. In some places, it needs to be, you need to have some of both. So there's a lot, there's a lot of things that need to go on when you're an academic. It's not just the teaching. Yeah. And and would you say it's a competitive environment because of that? I think it depends on where you are. I think some are more more so than others. Um, a lot of times the competition is not within your own university, your own school. It's within, it's with people who are in other places who are in the same area you are and you're competing mm-hmm. for a limited pot of like research funds, for mm-hmm. example. Sure, right. Sure. So it tends to be competitive, not within, but between schools. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Um, and then now, now we've also got the clinical practice setting, right? And so what kind of personal experience maybe have you had there? And what would you say really is kind of, you know, drawing us into this healthy work environment? What's the, what's the why behind that? Well, I, I was, my clinical practice uh, for most of my career was in home health. So, you know, talk about the original uh, independent folks, right? I mean, yes. <laughs> out doing home visits, uh, didn't see each, see each other a lot in the office. Um, so for home health, especially, um, at the time I was doing it, seeing each other in the office was a treat because most of the time you communicated, you know, with, with voicemails. And so you didn't really get to see each other in the office. Um, so for me, the, the incivility in, or the, the healthy work environment issues in home health was, um, really being seen as a member of the organization because people, we were like, we've sort of got forgotten, you know, there would be, there would be nursing department events 
and we would hear about him after the fact, and we'd be like, why weren't we invited? Well, people just forgot about us because we weren't there all the time, right? So we weren't mm. obvious and visible. Um, home health has, even with the, even if you're not part of a health system, it has its own, I mean, I, I talk about this routinely, is people don't know how many home health agencies there are in the United States, for example, because if a home health agency closes, nobody knows. It's in an office, right? Um, whereas if, if there's a facility or a facility closes, then it's obvious because there's an empty facility of some kind. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a very different kind of nursing practice. So I think the mm-hmm. the it was really more I would call benign neglect as a home health nurse that we felt more than actual incivility. Um, although there were times that I mean you know home health nurses sort of laugh about people say oh I'm looking so much looking forward to to Thanksgiving you know because. You know, the day after Thanksgiving, well, for home health, that's always a busy time because a lot of patients get charged, discharged the Wednesday before, right? Or Thanksgiving Day, and they need visits on that Friday. So, um, the same with any of the holidays. So, home health nurses sort of chuckle about people looking forward to the holidays because for home health, it's a very busy time. (laughs) Very busy. Well, and people overindulge as well, right? (laughs) Well, right, exactly. And then they have health episodes, right? Because... Yeah, well, exactly. Well, no, I mean, if you think about the kind of patients that home health nurses see, absolutely, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, what do you hear from your members around, you know, that's a really great view into the home health and to the kind of the the really first virtual workers, right, from a healthcare perspective. But what are you hearing from members when it comes to organizational you know, organizations or healthcare organizations and healthy work environment practice issues there? You know, the the pandemic has really sort of laid bare all the problems with the systems, right? And, mm-hmm. and not just in the U.S. I mean, you can talk to our colleagues in Australia. You can talk to our mm-hmm. colleagues in sub-Saharan Africa. I mean, any place. We've all been impacted, right? And so, I think what you would hear, and, and what we do here is that in all of these places, the nurses want to be recognized for what they're doing, right? They need support. So, they need support, emotional support. They need sufficient PPE. They need sufficient staff, right? And so, everybody's feeling this. Everybody's feeling this. Um, Our clinical members in particular have really felt it. And, you know, again, because of the changes wrought by COVID, you could have a nurse who was working in an endoscopy suite who lost their position, right? Because those were elective mm-hmm. procedures and they weren't being done or they were furloughed or they were they were suddenly transferred to a kind of nursing they hadn't done for a long period of time, if ever. So I think it's been a really difficult time for our, our colleagues in clinical mm-hmm. settings. And no, But nobody's unscathed, right? Our academic colleagues had the same things, right? They had to pivot to virtual. They had to do virtual really quickly. They had all the challenges in terms of clinical experiences for their students, especially early on. What could you do with simulation? The constantly changing messages from the the boards of nursing and the regulatory bodies about what could be done with simulation. Again, not just in the U.S., but also in other places. Sure, sure. Yeah, it really shined a light on some gaps, right? And then made the gaps gaps bigger. It did. It did. It did. It did. And boy, if Tracy and I have heard anything uh, working with healthcare leaders the last 18 months, it is just the significant amount of change we've all been going through. And it's nonstop. It's just like, Mm -hmm. it's been remarkable. Right, right. 
Right. It's been remarkable. Like no opportunity to catch your breath. Yeah. You know? Well, and I think that's the thing, right? I think, you know, going into it, we all anticipated we could have a bad six months. I mean, I don't think any of us anticipated being here 20 months later. Yeah. Yeah. With, you know, with the same kinds of things. I think um, for our colleagues in academic settings, m- many of them have been able to go back to campus, right? Or at least get the students back in clinical settings. I think that's less of a challenge. Um, not, not no challenge, please don't misunderstand, but, you know, things that are a little more predictable for them. I think for, for nurses in the clinical setting, it just has been relentless. I mean, the nurses we talk to are exhausted and depleted, honestly. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So true. So true. Well, Liz, in our work at Missing Logic, we um, do work with healthcare organizations. And whenever you're trying to do culture change, it's the hardest change uh, there is, I think. Um, So it's really helpful to have a guiding framework. And we use the Healthy Healing Organization or H2O framework, we call it, working with organizations. And it really has three pillars. People, because you have to start with the people. People make up an organization. Also, the processes and um, infrastructures. And also, our third pillar is um, performance, so we can actually measure outcomes. And we would love to hear from you, especially with, uh, we know that you have awards and different, uh, to really highlight healthy healing organizations and work cultures. What have you seen um, work well in academia or practice for when it comes to people strategies to really support the people within those organizations? So I think the thing that seems to be common across our award recipients is the meaningful recognition, recognizing mm-hmm. people who are doing good work, right? And so mm-hmm. um, some some organizations do this sort of internally and, you know, it's it's an internal process. Others use our partners and colleagues from the DAISY Foundation to really do that because DAISY, as you know, has branched into um, academic settings, recognizing faculty as well as, as well as recognizing staff nurses and nurses who are at the bedside as well as nurse managers. So I think that meaningful recognition is the common element. I think recognizing people, because nurses tend to be very self-deprecating, as you know, when you work with nurses, you know, many times our initial response is when somebody says, thank you for all you do, our response is, well, it's my job, right? And, And that is true. It is our job. But at the same time, I think the current situation has really shown how nurses go above and beyond to really meet those those needs of the people we take care for or the students we educate. And so I think that meaningful recognition comes comes ringing through loud and clear about being an important element and certainly something we see across our, our ward recipients. Great. Yeah. That's, that is just, it's so critical, and especially right now, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. Talk about going above and beyond, right? So it's really, really important. Now, the other thing that we've learned in all the years that we've been working with healthcare organizations and trying to establish healthy healing work cultures is the importance of infrastructures and processes, right? And that's another part of our framework. So can you give us any examples of maybe what some of the organizations that you're engaged with, some of your award winners have maybe implemented or are using to really support a healthy work environment? Yeah, I think that I, I was really struck by the award for the University of Virginia. Um, they were our first academic um, our first academic setting to get an award. What struck me is they started this process in 2011. So it's not, this was not a new endeavor for them. 
Um, and they really did it based on um, all staff, all faculty surveys, right? So I think that's the one piece that comes through is you really need to listen to the people. You need to listen to everybody. It can't be from the top down. It can't be driven by leadership. It needs to be, it needs to include people who are actually doing the work, right? Whether that's in an academic setting or in a clinical setting. Um, so some of the things that the University of Virginia did that I thought, uh, and again, this all came from from a faculty staff committee, right, that worked on this. So they had things early on, all gender bathrooms. That was important to them. Um, they did some work on facilitated discussions about how to have difficult, difficult conversations. I think that's one of the things that we're all reluctant to do in many cases because we feel unprepared to do so. But mm -hmm. it's just the nature of your work life, whether you're in a clinical setting or an academic setting. And I think sometimes, you know, Tracy, you asked me earlier, what do I think is one of the roots behind academic incivility? I think it's the desire to not have those difficult conversations, to not be able to say, you know, I I disagree with how that was handled, and I think we need to talk about it, right? So I think that was one of the things I gave them a lot of credit for is facilitating those to give people this, because this is a skill set, right? Yeah. Give people the, the skills they need to be able to have those conversations because it makes for a much better work environment, as you all know. Um, they did yeah. some of the other things that you would expect, like, you know, sort of meet and greets. And I, the other one I really liked that they did is that they eliminated the expectation that you would be using your personal time on weekends and holidays to answer email. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Boundaries. So I mean, <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And so what they did is they, they made it the norm that that was the expectation is that you do not, right. Not that you do, but that you do not do that. So I think again, just sort of um, really mm -hmm. giving their faculty and staff the time and the space they need for recovery. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that that's, it just struck me about so many of the things that they had done that I thought were very thoughtful. And again, because it was a, because it came from the grassroots, it wasn't from the top down. I thought that was notable as well as how long they had been in doing this. Right. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah. that's a long time. It is a long, long time. time. It is a long well, time. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I love that you bring up, you know, their work around these challenging conversations. Right. I mean, there's a lot of polarization right now. Right. Like there's so many things. People feel stifled. They don't even know what to say, afraid of saying the wrong thing or, right. And, and you're right. We don't have the skills. Right. We weren't taught those kinds of skills as a clinician, right? You're taught the clinical stuff. <laughs> and a lot of times you didn't learn how to have healthy conversations at home. I wouldn't say the majority of people are taught that in their home environment either. So you're right, you're coming in with a deficit and then, you know, you're facing all of these kind of challenging, different polarizing situations and having those kind of conversations and knowing how to do that. It's just critical. Well, and I, you know, I think part of this is when you're on the receiving end of a critical conversation to learn how to not become immediately defensive, right? Yeah. To take it in, to listen. Right. Mm -hmm. I think it's important yeah. when we talk about this, especially from in the US right now and also in, you know, also in the UK and in Australia when we talk about the issues around racism, right? Yeah. I mean, I think this is where we need to learn to listen. You know, mm -hmm. when somebody gives you feedback, to sort of take that in and listen. Yeah. You know, and, and not yeah. to defend yourself, to just sort of, you know, be in the moment yeah. and listen to that. And again, I think it you have to practice that. It takes you have to you have to have the opportunity to experience that in a safe setting. Yes. Because I think the other thing that strikes me is these, these healthy work environments strike me as places where there's a lot of psychological safety. Mm -hmm. I guess is these are places where you can have those difficult conversations and everybody walks out of the room and they're okay. 
Yeah. So well, and one of well, yeah, and one of the things that we learn is you're right. It takes practice, mm-hmm. and you have to have great intention to create those places in an organization so that then it kind of grows, right? But you got to start someplace, and you know, it, it's not a silver bullet. <laughs> it, it takes a lot of intention, and it takes work, and it takes personal transformation in addition to organizational transformation, right? Right. One, and you know, you're not going to get it right every time either, right? No. Right. So. No. <laughs> so yeah. true. Yeah. And one of the other things I think that I really appreciated that you said about the University of Virginia was that you they learned from everybody, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't a top-down kind of thing, but they heard the voices of everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so important too, because you can't get your finger on the pulse of a culture without hearing everybody's voice, without giving everybody an opportunity to share their perspective and kind of how they see what's happening, right? And um, and that's one of the things that we do as a part of our framework. Sorry. That's okay. Hey, stuff happens, you know? It's I, all right. I live Where downtown. It's hard to avoid. <laughs> no, that's okay. We just keep rolling. We don't all right. care. That's okay. We know, we, know, we know that stuff happens. Anyway. <laughs> so, one of the things that Michelle mentioned is a part of our framework, right, is performance and measuring performance. And one of the things we look at is kind of the balance in decision making. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that kind of directive decision making and participative decision making. So, what have you seen in kind of these environments that are creating these healthy work environments? What are you noticing about the decision making in those environments? Well, you know, I think part of what um, we've heard from our colleagues who are in leadership positions, informal leadership positions, because remember at Sigma, we believe every nurse is a leader, right? Yep. But in the formal leadership positions, one of the things we're hearing is that for a while, because of the crisis issues, they needed to really use command and control, right? They, mm-hmm. really, couldn't, they really couldn't do participatory decision-making. As soon as they could, though, they got back to that, right? And so, you know, they might have had, and, and part of it, the other thing we've heard that I think is, uh, really important, and, and I think it's been recognized certainly by the nurses who are in direct care positions, is that it mattered whether your your nursing leadership showed up on your units physically, mm-hmm. right? To listen, to sort of say, how are you doing? You know, what do you need? You know, and, and to explain what was going on, because the, the frontline nurses, the nurses who were at the direct care positions would get frustrated because it seemed like every day there was a change. And some of that was a function of the realities of where they were trying to source PPE or it was, I mean, there was lots of things and they could, the nurse leaders could explain those things, but they needed the opportunity to do so. Yeah. That was so important, so critical, right? A lot of times you can understand the decision if you know the rationale behind the decision. Right, exactly. And I, and that's, you know, that's what you don't get when you get, you know, things coming either via email or some of those things. I mean, and yeah. it was just the, the situation was such that you couldn't, you couldn't provide all that circumstance and nuance or context because it was complicated. Whereas mm-hmm. if you had an opportunity and somebody said, what happened with this decision? You could explain it and then it made sense, right? So right. You, then, the, then people could see that it wasn't just an ad hoc decision or being made cavalierly. 
Right, right. And one of the things that's a big part of our frameworks is this sense of dynamic balance. And so I think this is a great example, you know, of having to do command and control. You have to go to directive. There are times where it's called for and you're going to weigh heavily on that side. And I'm sure even though it seemed like that was the only kind of decision being made, I'm sure in other areas there were some, you know, some of that more, you know, collaborative decision making (laughs) as well, just not to the extent it had always been happening and and then shifting back right so that we have a better equilibrium but dynamic balance is about going back and forth it's never about always 50 50 equal all the time you have to shift where it's needed when it's needed so you're using the appropriate kind of decision making at the right times Mm -hmm. yeah exactly well the you know the one of the award recipients from this year was um saint peter's university hospital which is in new brunswick new jersey Mm -hmm. and what they did as in re- in response to the pandemic, their their sort of healthy work environment group had a nurse driven support group that was known as Masks Off. And what it was is it was designed to give the nurses uh, a place, a safe place for them to talk about what they were going through, right? Because that's one of the things we know. If you know, if you were able to attend our our last creating healthy work environments, you heard from um, our closing speaker who talked about post-traumatic growth, right? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we know about these kinds of experiences is you need to be able to talk about them in Mm -hmm. a safe place with people who understand. And there's nobody who understands like nurses who are going through it also, right? And you can right. you can actually um, encourage this. I mean, there are some places that are using psychological first aid training for some of their nurses mm-hmm. that they can then use those skills for other nurses. Um, I, there's just been some really creative things I've seen done. So I've been That's so wonderful. pleased to see people really being thoughtful and attuned to um, the, the trauma, essentially, that the nurses have gone through. Yeah, I think what's so exciting for me, Liz, is we're not leaning so much into technology for the types of solutions. We're almost going back to the human connection, right? Like Absolutely. Those are such great examples. Right, yeah. right, exactly. And so I, I gave the, you know, I thought this place did a great job with that, um, you know, because they could then, because it was nurse to nurse, right? It wasn't the nursing leaders doing this. It was nurse to nurse. Yeah. You know, and, and to really be able to share their experiences and what they were feeling. Because there's, um, it's striking to me how many nurses who have been involved in this um, are really feeling a sense of failure, like they didn't do enough. And so I, I think that's part of the, the moral injury that they're experiencing is sure. that, you know, they didn't do enough when in fact the circumstances were such as they did everything they could. Yeah. Right? And sometimes they just need to have that acknowledged. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So mm-hmm. Well, you've given us some really good examples of different ways the pandemic has impacted um you know, faculty and clinicians and work environments. Are there any any other things that you're hearing from your members that the pandemic has really impacted their healthy work environments? Anything else that stands out to you? I think there's a, I think there's a, a desire, and I, I don't know that I have quite the right words yet, but there's a desire that we use this crisis as a way to make things better, that we can't just go back to the way we did things before, that if we do, it's, it's on us, right? It's on us. This is our opportunity to really take, sort of take the bull by the horns and say, we can't keep going this way. It clearly doesn't work. It wasn't working before. And it's certainly the, as I said, the crisis really showed all of that. 
And so if we don't make changes, then we've lost an opportunity to really influence because our the ultimate goal is is a healthy work environment creates better patient outcomes, right? That's mm-hmm. that's the ultimate goal. So the healthy work environment, you have staff that are healthy people themselves who then can provide better care. Mm-hmm. So and I think that's the piece is that we can't we can't let this continue. We have to make major changes. And mm-hmm. um, some of what's happened is is there have been um, some places have not used some of this or done it well. And so in some places, nurses are being told, well, if you were more resilient, you know, or just go to the room where you can do the meditation stuff without recognizing that the system's broken, right? And that's the piece that needs to be addressed is that broken system. Yeah. And I think what Michelle and I've learned is it's kind of a both and, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because <laughs> you can fix the system, but you still, there's a personal part to this that Absolutely. you have to, you have to own your own health because nobody can do the push-ups for you. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Right? Nobody can help you find that place of calm or do the things that are going to help you heal individually. You have right. to do that. But at the same time, it's not their burden alone, right? Right. right. No, that's it's, exactly right. That's exactly yeah, right. It's the both and. You got mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you bringing that forward, Liz, about we can't go back to the way things were. I think I think all of us as leaders are being called to really step up and step into the opportunity in front of us. And again, to what you said earlier, healthy work environments are more important now than ever. So whatever we can do to really help not only create them, but sustain them over time will be really important for all of us. Mm-hmm. Well, so, and from Sigma's perspective, one of the things we're trying to do is to figure out from an evidence perspective, what's the evidence say that is the most important piece? We don't know that yet, right? I mean, this mm-hmm. is still a relatively new body of research. And so that's part of why we started with the awards is because we think that people have things to learn from the award recipients about what they did and what they learned and sort of, because every one of them can tell you about things they tried that didn't work too, right? And so I think sure. that's the piece, you know, I, I certainly there's good evidence for the individual on things like mindfulness and meditation, but at the same time, from a healthy work environment perspective, do some things have more meaning or are some things more impactful than others? And I think that's what we don't know yet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah great point. Well, with uh, the the conference coming up here in March of 2022, what are you most excited about the next one? Well, you know, so I we um, we generally do late breaking abstracts, and so late breaking abstracts is is work that um, is it couldn't meet the deadline for the abstract submission because it was it was still in process, and because of the COVID crisis, I think we're going to see a lot more late breaking abstracts with really good information about sort of what worked, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There've been some, we've had some great webinars that we've done with some of our colleagues about different things. And so some of it's writing, some of it's art. I mean, part of what I like about this conference is is it's the one that um, has the best balance between academic and clinical audiences, but it also has the other kinds of things. So if you were with us in New Orleans, you saw that we had uh, therapy dogs come in. Um, that's, you know, we had, uh, we had, uh, it would usually be called wine and sip where you do painting things, but we didn't have the wine. We just had the paint. Um, <laughs> but you know, some of those kinds of things. So we, we try to do, we, so, a lot of times we have yoga or some kind of movement. Um, and so it really is designed to sort of give you a space, not just as a conference attendee to get the knowledge, but to also have some experience of some of the other healing and restorative pieces. So I always look forward to what the team comes up with to do this. So. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, that's cool. 
That's very cool. Yeah. Well, and you're sitting, you're sitting a lot. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> right. I know. Right. Which is not a healthy thing as no, we right. learn. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So, yeah. So I think that's really great. The more you can incorporate those kinds of things, you know, the healthier everybody stays. Right. right. Oh, just been so much fun talking with you. And now we get to the fun, fun part, which is okay, the good. missing the missing question part. Okay, good. <laughs> so we just kind of like to close out mm-hmm. our episode with just a couple of personal questions. Nothing too difficult. I'm sure you've got a handle on it. No, no worries there. But you know, we we've kind of let people know who you are professionally. Now we like to give them a little bit of who you are personally. So we got a couple questions for you. Are you ready? I am. All right. The first one is since you now live in Indianapolis, right, which is Sigma's um, headquarters, Mm -hmm. what is one thing you like best about Indy? Well, I live downtown, um, and so I get to experience all the excitement of all the different groups that come to town. And so um, when I'm out and about, because because I live downtown, a lot of things are within walking distance. So I tend to walk a lot of places. And so I get to experience the FFA because FFA is the biggest convention that comes to Indianapolis. I think it's 80,000. It's a tremendous oh number. My gosh. And then we have then we have a group of gamers that come to town, um, you know, the computer game folks. And so uh-huh. that's a great crowd for people watching. Right. And And usually there's some really fun things to do in conjunction with that meeting. So I actually got to see Second City TV uh, because they were here in town to entertain the gamers. So yeah, I mean, I get I get a lot of those kinds of uh, secondary benefits from being in Indianapolis. Oh, that's really cool. That's, that's great. Cool. Take a, take advantage, right? Yep. What comes exactly. to you? Yeah, good for you. And I I think I would like downtown living. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that it sounds like I know fun. I would. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll have to try that. Put that on my list. Of 101 wishes. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Here's another toughie for you. What's your favorite holiday and why? I like Thanksgiving. I like the food and I like the fact that there's no gifts. (laughs) Right? Because, you know, gifts are, gifts are pressure, right? You know, so my, my children are young adults and I'm like, they're getting increasingly hard to buy for. Now they would tell you that I've always been hard to buy for. So, you know, it's, it's those kinds of, I think the fact that there's no gifts, there's no pressure. Plus I love the food. Yeah. Food is awesome. Isn't it? Yeah. I know. That's my fav- my husband's favorite as well for the same reason. Well, the same yeah. reason. He doesn't have to worry about buying anybody anything and he loves the food. So yeah. Yeah, oh, that's so funny. I knew you were going to say that too. I thought she's going to say Thanksgiving and you did. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm predictable. <laughs> I could have said St. Patrick's Day, you know, because my last name is Irish, right? So I yeah, could have said St. Right. Patrick's Day. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, Liz, our uh, wrap up question is, as you know, we do work with polarity intelligence and we're really bringing a both and mindset to leaders uh, across the world. And one thing about polarities is that you naturally prefer one pole over the other. And so I'm going to share with you a polarity and you don't have to think too hard about it, but tell us where you naturally lean. Okay. Productivity and relationships. I would say in this job, relationships. You know, um, when I was in a faculty position, relationships were certainly important, but productivity was a greater, I mean, it's, it's how you were able to progress, right? Whereas in this job, it's all about relationships. And, you know, I think the misconception about doing work at the global level is that that's less important when, in fact, it's more important. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, yeah. you're very good at it. 
Oh, thank <laughs> yeah, you. you. Thank are. you. <laughs> you are. And certainly Sigma's still producing an awful lot of things and yeah. conferences and journals. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, exactly. As an organization, you know, I think that we do, we have a lot and people don't realize everything we do. So yeah, yeah, yeah. we're, we're, it's a, it's a busy organization. Yeah. Well, we feel blessed to have some of your time today to uh, share with our listeners about healthy work environments. And uh, we certainly have a lot of alignment with you. And we really, you just brought so many great examples today. And I think just helped us, you know, come together with you to raise the awareness of how important this is. So we are very grateful for you being here. Yes. Yeah, I you know, I think the I think it's even more important now, right? Because we have a lot of healing to do mm-hmm. as a profession around the world. There's a lot of healing that needs to happen and the only way we're going to do it is by helping each other. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, nobody's in it alone. No. That's for sure, right? Yep. Yeah, and we won't get through it alone either. No, it takes all no, exactly. it takes all of us. So, thank you so much for bringing all of these incredible examples and just your spirit. It's been wonderful to be with you. Yeah, it's great to be with you both too. Great. All right. So for all our listeners, this concludes another episode of Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, and we'll see you next time. Take care, stay healthy and safe. enjoyed this episode of Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, now a top-rated podcast for healthcare leaders. Please share this podcast with other healthcare leaders and anyone else you think would benefit. We are certain that if you found value in it, they will too. If you haven't already done so, please hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. And also, it would mean the world to us if you took a quick moment to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast player. It helps to get the word out about our podcast and incredible guests. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you want to watch our podcasts. You can also follow us on our Missing Logic social media channels, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Until next time.